Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Titus. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2 this morning. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. What an exciting morning this is. As uh, you all have seen, if you were here at the beginning of the service, we are getting to celebrate all of our seniors this morning. Uh, and so I have the opportunity to preach. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, Pastor Darren just got back from Alaska and he might be a little tired. Um, so anyway, it's been an exciting weekend. I have had the opportunity to not only go to one, but two of my very first high school graduations in Ocala, Florida. Uh, and it has been an absolute joy. It's actually been a little bittersweet. Uh, bittersweet because this is my first group of seniors. And so as they walked across the stage, I got a little emotional uh, because they have a special place in my heart. Uh, they're my first group. They're my first uh, kiddos. And so I love them because of that. And so I hate to see them go. But you know how it is. Graduations are always full of mixed emotions, right? Some of it's joy. You're, you're overjoyed that they made it. You're excited for what's going to happen next, seniors. Uh, and, and you can't wait for what's coming. Uh, some of it might be a little anxious, right? Like you're thinking, what on earth am I going to do with the rest of my life? Don't worry, I didn't have it figured out either. Um, so uh, there's, there's some anxiety. Maybe if you're a parent or a grandparent, there might be some relief, right? Some of you might be thinking, I cannot believe that they made it, right? <laughs> but they laugh because they know, they know. Um, there's some relief. They're like, oh, yes, I cannot believe that they made it. Uh, I know that when I graduated, there was a little bit of that for me. There was also a little bit of uh, excitement because I know that I would never, never, I would not hear these words as much. We all know these words, but it's because I said so. How many of y'all have ever heard that before, right? Parents, you've probably said it before. Uh, hey, why do I have to take out the trash? Because I said so. Go do it. Um, why can't I go hang out with my friends? Because I said so. Go do it. Uh, because I said so. By the way, parents and students, is a complete sentence. Uh, when you obey, uh, because I said so, you bring glory to God because, it tells, because he tells us to honor our father and mother. And so you might not feel like that's a complete sentence, but it absolutely is. Uh, but we all sympathize with this idea of wanting to know why. Right? We all want to know why we can or cannot do something. Why can I not go hang out with my friends, Hunter? It's because you haven't done your homework in eight weeks. Uh, you're going to fail. That's why you can't go hang out with your friends. Uh, Hunter, if you do not take out the trash, our house is going to smell like your room. Please go take out the trash. And so we want to know why. Why do we do what we do? And so, seniors, I thought, you know, I could come up here and I could give you all of these instructions of how we so want you to live a God-glorifying life. But instead, I thought of no better way than to encourage you as we send you out to remind you of the gospel. To remind you of the why we do what we do, not just what you need to be doing. And 
Titus, uh, or Paul writing to Titus, sympathizes with this. He, in chapter 2, gives Titus all of these commands. Hey, set the church in this order so that they may do these things. But then he doesn't just leave him with a, because I said so. He says there's a reason we live the way that we should. And this is his reason. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. Students, as you go to live out a God-glorifying life, my encouragement is that you would never move on from the gospel. That you would never move on from why we live the way that we do because God's grace has appeared. This is not just for students, though, parents. This is for us. We should never move on from the gospel. When we move on from the gospel... We become moralistic, legalistic. We do things and we don't even know why we do them. And so let us remind ourselves of the good news of God's grace this morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Church family, this is the gospel. This is the grace of God. The very first thing Paul tells Titus when he's telling the church, or telling him to order the church in this way, is this is his reasoning. It's why he starts off this paragraph by saying, for. For is just another way of saying because. Because of this, you are to live the way that you should. And the first thing he tells us of God's grace is that God's grace brings us salvation. God's grace brings us salvation. He says that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Church family, there is no no. Nothing more, more precious than this truth. That salvation has been offered to us. And if you don't believe me, consider this scenario, right? We're all looking for salvation whether you think you are or not. We, we see how broken and hurting the world is. We see how stressful it can be. I don't think anyone prepared me for the life of an adult when I was growing up and all of the things that I would have to do and how difficult it may be and all the suffering that might come. Students, I don't want you to be blind to this. The world is difficult at times. and We know this and we blindly seek salvation in other things. We blindly seek salvation without actually knowing what we're doing. We think, well, if I just succeed in life, I'll be saved. If I just have success, I'll have a good enough job. And if I have a good enough job, I'll make enough money. And if I make enough money, I'll never have to be worried about my bills again. I'll never have to be worried about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear or what I'm going to have. 
I won't have to worry about people liking me because they're going to see my success and they'll love me for how successful I am. And if I get sick, I'll have enough money to fix anything that's wrong with me. And therefore, the gospel of success seeps into our minds and we think, if I'm just successful, I'll avoid all suffering in my life. I won't have to worry about it. But the problem is, this is the, the gospel that social media feeds us. It's, it's the pictures on Instagram. It's the TikToks of, if you just have this thing, then you will be happy. So seek after it. We all know that deep down we need saving, but it's not just from suffering that we need saving from. It is from sin. You see, the problem is not the world outside of us. The problem is the world inside of us because we have fallen short of the glory of God and we sin against our creator. We are the ones who incurred his wrath. He was angry with us as sinners and therefore his anger was against you and I. And this is what makes grace so amazing. What makes grace so amazing is that we were the party that wronged him, and yet instead of anger, he chose to pour out grace. Which of you would give to someone up at the cost of yourself to lavish gifts on them if they made you angry, if they wronged you, if they were against you? God said, these people, these rebellious people who have sinned against me, I will send my son to die for them. This is the good news of the gospel that God could have showed us wrath, but instead he chose to show us grace. And not just grace for an individual, but grace for all people all across time and all across the world that they may have salvation. This is the good news of the gospel that every sin and every person finds its every answer in the power and the work of Christ on the cross. Brothers and sisters, may we never get over the gospel because it is God's grace and loving kindness towards us. Let us never get over what he's done. Later in chapter 3, Paul will actually say a very similar statement by saying, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Friend, if you are in this place and you have never trusted this truth, if you have never believed in the gospel of grace, let me tell you that there are no amount of works of righteousness that you can muster up to save yourself. There's nothing in this world that's going to save you. There is only one and only Savior, and his name is Jesus. Come to him. Lay down your burden, lay down your doing, lay down all of your working, and come to a God of grace, for he loves you. This is not all grace has done for us. Grace has not just brought us salvation. God's grace trains us for transformation. God's grace trains us for transformation. Look at verse 12 and 13. Paul continues saying, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Meaning, God's saving grace is not what just saves us and then we're transformed by sheer willpower. 
No, God's grace is slowly working itself out in our hearts, changing us to look more like Christ. Now, here's the point I want you all to see, is this means that we cannot say that we are recipients of God's saving grace if we are not saying we are students of His training grace. When God's grace enters the life of the believer, the believer starts to transform. The believer starts to look differently. The believer isn't achieving some sort of perfection, but his life is now heading in a new direction. This is the idea of, uh, or the opposite of the idea of cheap grace. Cheap grace would say, well, I have the forgiveness of sin, but my life doesn't change. I have fire insurance. I do not have to worry about eternal punishment, and therefore my life can look whatever the way I want it to look like. No, when God's grace comes into the life of the believer, he changes us from the inside out. And Paul tells Titus this. He says that this happens in both a negative way and a positive way. The negative ways, he says, he, it trains us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions. This word renounce is the same word that Jesus would use when he tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny, renounce himself and take up his cross and follow me. Therefore, the life of the Christian is a life where God's grace is training us to die to ourselves daily, to turn away from sinful things. But I love how he puts it. He says that he, we are to renounce worldly passions, not worldly actions. Here's the point. When God's grace comes into the life of the believer, it changes our hearts. We no longer desire the things that we used to do. We now desire different things. It's not our sinful actions that are the problem. You see that, right? It's our sinful hearts. It's the sinful passions. It's what we love, what we ought not to love. And Paul says that when grace comes into the life of the believer, that changes but there's not only a putting off, there's a putting on. He says that he, it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Now, that he lists three different ways. Uh, he says that we're to be self-controlled. Self-controlled is an inward grace. It's looking inward and saying, I need to make sure that I'm living out the life that I say that I believe. Upright is this outward life. Uh, it's, it's living according to those around you. Jesus says that, his deci- or that the world would know that we are his disciples by if we love one another. And then finally, he says godly lives. That we are to be devoted to God and God alone. To be satisfied in him, students. Now all of this, grace is doing. Now, help us kind of get this picture Uh, I have an example for you. When I was in college, I was working at the YMCA. And when I was working at the YMCA, uh, I was tasked to do PE for this group of homeschoolers. Now, uh, my director came to me and she said, hey, you're going to teach these homeschoolers to run a 5K. And I said, great, awesome. And so I did. I went to the homeschoolers and I said, hey, these are the things you shouldn't be doing and these are the things you should be doing. And uh, for three days a week, I trained them and I helped them grow. Now, when they first started, they could not run at all. I mean, I'm talking, they would, these are like first graders and they would not get anywhere. Uh, by the end, they are running an entire 5K. Now, 
before you think, oh, Hunter's a great trainer, uh, no, um, because I made the poor decision of not running with them. Uh, and so when I got to the 5K, uh, my director instructed me that I was actually going to be running with my little recruits. Uh, uh-oh, Hunter has not trained at all. So Hunter is getting ready to run this race with all of his little ones, and uh, they all smoked me by miles. I mean, I'm talking by the time I was done, they were all sitting at the finish line waiting for me. Um, but it was fun because one of them came up to me and said, you know, Hunter, uh, when we first started, I feel like I was never going to be able to do this. I was never going to be able to do what you trained us to do. And I'm thinking, well, I wasn't able to do it. Um, and they said, you know, but the first, that first week, we, we were able to run about a mile without getting tired. And then that, that next week, we got two miles. And then that, that last week, we got all three miles. And that little kid told me, you know, I, I wanted it to be instantaneous. I wanted it to be right then and there. But, you know, training takes time. Believer, what this passage is telling us is that when we are living and operating in God's grace, we are slowly but surely being transformed into the image of Christ. And there might be days where you come in and you think, man, I want to be so much further in my, my walk. God's grace is training you. And brothers and sisters, Philippians 1 tells us, He who began a good work in you will bring it to the day of completion. You are free from the sin that binds you. You have been given God's grace and can overcome the sin and temptations in your life. Live according to it. But finally... Not only does God's grace give us salvation and train us for transformation, God's grace encourages our anticipation. Paul tells Titus in verse 13, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Brothers and sisters, we have hope, and his name is Jesus. We have hope that in this present age, though we battle with sin and we have brushes with suffering, we know that those only grow our anticipation to be with Jesus. And I say Jesus because our hope is not found just in some paradise place without Christ. Our hope itself is longing to be with the joy and the treasure of our heart, Christ. Our desire, what propels us into this life of transformation is that longing for Jesus. Let me ask you, what do you look forward to most in life? What do you look forward to most in life? That is where your hope is found. Your hope is found in, in whatever it is that you're longing for. For some of us, it might be that successful life. It might be having a nice house. It might be having a nice car, a nice spouse, material possessions, success, love of others, all of these things. We might be looking forward to those things because we believe that those things are going to save us. Now, when you believe something is going to save you, you hope for that thing. 
And so when we believe that Jesus is where we find our salvation, our longings and our hopes should be focused on Him and Him alone. Because it was Jesus that purchased you, brothers and sisters. It was Jesus that paid for your penalty. It was Jesus that purifies you and now possesses you. You are no longer sins, but you are Christ's. Finally, it is Jesus that has purpose for you. His purpose may not be that we are saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We are saved so that we may go and do things for Christ. And I love how he puts it. He says zealous. Some other Bible translations would say totally committed. Totally committed. There's not a thing that you're not more committed to to other than doing good. And so it's not the question of, is this sin? Can I get away with this? The Christian life is about saying, what can I do for Christ today? How can I love others more today? How can I love Him more today? It's being committed and zealous and excited to live for Christ. That is what our anticipation of him coming again does. Now, where does all this leave us, right? That's a lot of theology. It's a lot of what we ought to believe. Hopefully, it's what you do believe, that that God has saved you, that he's transforming you, and that one day you will be with the treasure of your heart. But where does that leave us? What am I to do in my waiting? Paul finishes this passage by saying this, Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul also began the passage, by, or the chapter, by saying, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is what we ought to do, brothers and sisters, as we wait on Christ, as we battle sin, and as we struggle through suffering. As we are waiting, we are to be fixing our eyes on Jesus through sound doctrine learning of who he is, bringing that anticipation, learning how great and good and amazing he he is so that it is shaping us from the inside out. This comes through a number of ways. It comes through the preaching of God's word. It comes through sitting underneath the teaching of sound doctrine and learning what we ought to believe, not just doing things out of uh, because this is what I'm told to do, but because out of a love for Jesus we go and do these things. Not only are we to do that, Paul also said in the beginning of this passage, he gives instructions for older men and older women, younger men and younger women, and bondservants. And in this, what you would find is that what he's telling Titus here, that that righteous, upright, godly life, is what he's telling the older uh, men and women to teach the younger men and women. Listen, this happens, this transformation will happen in your life if you are committed to the local church. If you are committed to people who are teaching sound doctrine, who are pushing you more to Christ, who are saying, hey, this is how you ought to be living. Brother and sister, this is the sin that I see in your life. This is what you need to be taking away and what you need to be putting on. It comes from discipleship. Students, listen, if there is one thing you hear from me today, listen, 
when you leave, be committed to the local church. Do not wait to get plugged into a community group. Do not wait to get discipled by another person. Go after people. Sit underneath sound teaching and fall more and more in love with Jesus. And out of that love, let that propel you into a Christian lifestyle that brings honor to Christ. Let it be love-driven and belief-based, not moralistic doings just because you have to. Fall deeply in love with Jesus, and out of that belief, your life will begin to transform. Stay firm in the gospel. Do not waver in it. Love Jesus above all else. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you are encouraged by what God's grace is doing in your life. Notice in this whole passage, there was not a single command for the people to do other than Titus telling them of what God was already doing in their lives. Commit yourself to the body of Christ and allow God's grace to work in you and let it build an anticipation for his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, there's nothing more than what we can do but thank you. God, it is completely and solely by your grace and your grace alone that we are saved and transformed. God, you give us your grace through your people who you have chosen to be your possession. You consider us to be your treasure. God, I pray that we would, so fall, we would fall so deeply in love with you and your grace towards us that it would catapult us into a life of zealously doing good for you. God, that we would not do things arbitrarily, but we would do things with purpose. Jesus, that you would be our purpose. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.